You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honored to be joined by Pastor Ben Lazalier, former pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Santa Fe. Pastor Ben, welcome. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. Honored to be here. It's great having you here. So let's start with what does it mean for you to be a Lutheran? <laughs> well, there are two different questions. I could answer how I became a Lutheran and then what it means for me to still be a Lutheran. Yes, and All yes. Right. So I became a Lutheran because my great-grandfather on my mother's side came from East, what is now, what was East Germany to Philadelphia in 1871, mm. having left the army, having been wounded in battle and decided that he was not going to participate in the war. At the same time, the same year, two sisters came from County Wexford in Ireland to Philadelphia. One took a look at Philadelphia and got on the next ship and went back. Huh. The other one stayed. Now, the one that stayed was an upstairs maid at a very wealthy estate in Philadelphia. And she looked out one day and she saw the gardener and fell in love with the gardener. And the gardener happened to be my great-grandfather who came from Germany. So the maid and the gardener fell in love with each other. They got married. She was Irish, Roman Catholic. He was Lutheran. Ah. He rather became Catholic. They had three sons, the youngest of which was my grandfather. My grandfather, growing up, of course, was Catholic. He fell in love with a woman two farms north of their farm in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and that woman happened to be a Quaker. And they wanted to get married. But in those days, no priest would marry the Quaker woman to the Irish, uh, to the Catholic uh, right. man. But the local Lutheran pastor married both of them in his house with his wife as the witness. And that's why I'm a Lutheran. Wow. That's how I became a Lutheran. And so why are you still a Lutheran? I mean, because that's, I mean, anyone can take on the of religion course. of their family. But, but what is it for you to be a Lutheran? So I remain a Lutheran because, uh, first of all, I have to say, as a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, I do so in the tradition of Luther. Now, Martin Luther is a reformer of the church in the 16th century, Augustinian monk, who, through his academic studies and, uh, com and passion and compassion, uh, began to talk about the uh, abuses of the church in his time and set out to try to correct them. Um, we all know what happened as a result of that. A great uh, revolution mm -hmm. in the church took place, and he became um, more or less the leader of that 
of that Reformation. What he wanted to do was to reshape, reform the church to make it look like the early followers of Jesus, not what it had uh, transgressed in his words to become in the 16th century. So what does that mean to be a follower of? What, what does that, I mean, a follower can be somebody who says, that is my teacher, or a follower can be somebody who copies the moral behavior thereof. So what is it to be a follower? For me to be a follower of Jesus is to say that for Christians, for me as a Christian, the story begins with a promise to Abraham, not devoid of that, not separate from that. Mm -hmm. But as a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that means that my story begins with a promise to Abraham. Now, I'm well aware that a great split became uh, a reality between Jews and, and followers of Jesus right. in the first century, right. early, early on. And that what happened as a result of those followers um, – becoming more powerful and taking over most of what was Europe and North Africa and so forth and the Middle East to, to a great extent uh, became what we call Christendom, the Christian mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. And the split, I think, uh, got even, even deeper and uh, even more severe. But you don't, you don't mean follower in terms of empire building, surely? No, no. Right. <laughs> so, 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 so what is it exactly? I followed Jesus as uh, the teacher who said, uh, love God, love your neighbor. That's what I do. That's, that's at the root. That's what it is. Right. Are those two things or are they one? They're one. Uh, in my understanding, they're one because to love God is to love neighbor and to love neighbor is to love God. Or conversely, no one can say – I can't say that I love my – I love God without loving my neighbor. Right. So, so I mean, you were a pastor at Christ Lutheran Church for 37 years, which is, is a very long time in one pulpit. So what is it that brought you there and, and what is it that kept you there? You know, what is it unique about that particular community, Lutheran community and in Santa Fe itself? Well, I was called to be the pastor there. I'd, I was ordained in 1972 and went to St. Luke in Albuquerque. Uh, and served there for three years, and then I was called, uh, in quotation marks, that's how we do it in the, in the Lutheran Church, a call is issued, and I came to Christ Lutheran in Santa Fe, and um, stayed and remained for 37 years, as you say, <laughs> which is uh, not to say that there were not other imitations sure. along the way, there were, and uh, our theology uh, and understanding of such invitation is that uh, we make a promise when we're ordained to go wherever God and the church calls us to be. So you have to take seriously those invitations. I took all of them seriously, but other people went to those places and I didn't. <laughs> and I was very happy to stay uh, at Christ Lutheran Church. Um, I loved it. It was always changing. There were always many, many people coming uh, every week, visitors to Santa Fe. Um, we were a small congregation, but powerful mm -hmm. in, in what we did in the community, I believe, and, and, and ministering to our own folks and well beyond. 
And during that time, you were one of the founder members of the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Yes. So, so why is interfaith work so important for you, either individually or as a Lutheran or as a Lutheran pastor? Uh, why interfaith work? Because that's not the followers of Jesus. No, but I believe in interfaith work because we, we live in a community. We have to live in community. Um, uh, we, we simply do. That's our, that's our geography, our, our demographics, our community, our ethos. The more we meet together, the more we talk together, the more we learn from each other, the more we are taught and teach, the more we uh, understand each other, the more we appreciate each other, the stronger we are. And the more we work we can do, and the better not only we are, but the community is. And perhaps this is a difficult question. There are some Lutheran communities that are very involved in interfaith work yes. and some that aren't. That's true. Why is that? It has to do um, in, in, in the big picture. The Lutheran groups that are – not involved or as involved as we are. Um, it is, it's a matter of doctrine right. and teaching. And the doctrine says that in order for us to be uh, in fellowship with each other, we have to believe the same thing. We have to agree to the same principles. We have to agree to the same theology. There's a bit of politics involved in this as well. Sure, historically, this is, this is religious communities. Of That's course. right. Right. But um, so, for example, um, if another Lutheran pastor of another separate tradition would say to me, um, as has happened, well, for us to be together, you and I, and uh, for us to pray together, that would show unity. And my response is, yes, it would. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and his response is, well, we can't do that because we don't have unity to begin with. We don't, we, we don't adhere to the same technical doctrines. What is unity then, particularly for you coming from an interfaith perspective? Is unity something desirable? Um, is it is unity just being together, learning together? Are we unified in our difference? I mean, I, I, it brings me back to the Tower of Babel story, I think. Yeah. That is a biblical story that we both hold of everyone was together with a single purpose, and it was really bad. And so God said, here's an idea. Let's split everyone and talk. They can talk differently, and they can have different perspectives, and they won't understand each other clearly. And that seems to be a divine plan so that for me in that reading, there's unity in our difference. What, what does unity mean for you? There is unity in our difference. Unity doesn't mean oneness. doesn't mean all of us being one like the other one. Right. We can be united without being the same. I mean, if you look around, we're not the same. None of us are. Right. And even within the same faith tradition. Within the same faith tradition, absolutely. I find this fascinating because um, – we both come from faith traditions in which we have very differing perspectives 
on how to relate with the other, the, those who are not of our, our faith perspective. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to really explore um, these differing perspectives, which have some similarity and some difference, and, and particularly even in membership. So we're going to take a break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Uh, my guest this evening, Pastor Ben Lazalier, former pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Santa Fe. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom. Uh, my guest this evening, colleague and friend, Pastor Ben Lazalier, <laughs> former pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Santa Fe. And we've been talking about unity and, and similarity and, and difference as well. And I guess part of this comes from how we read scripture. Um, and so I'm wondering, what does the Bible mean to you as a, as a Lutheran? Well, you know, Luther said um, he had a lot of uh, Latin phrases by which he lived and which are um, mottos of the Reformation, if you will. One was sola scriptura, by, by scripture alone. He meant by that that the, the sacred text that we hold is more important than the decision of any council of the church. Okay. That that is the story in which we are are bathed and in which we live and die. And so that story, the scripture, the Bible, is the story and takes precedent over whether I think um, this way or that way. So okay. if, if, a, if a council says – we don't think animal sacrifice is a good idea anymore, but the Bible says you offer to God animal sacrifice. Does that mean where – because I'm, I'm certain you don't. No. Right? <laughs> so, so then how does that work? There has to have been a decision that it's not totally by scripture alone, isn't it's it? It's not totally by scripture alone. Luther didn't mean – Luther was not a literalist. Uh-huh. Okay. He was not a literalist. Literalist. He meant by that, that 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 story is the story that guides us. OK. So it's the basis. It's the basis. But then how do we – I mean the fact that we can read that story in many different ways, that right. every word has a nuance which can bring us to very different meanings. How – what does that mean to base ourselves in something that is so strongly interpretive? Well, what, what it means for me – what it means for me is I'm not, a, I'm not a biblical literalist or fundamentalist. I'm not. A biblical literalist understands each word of Scripture to be equal to every other word right. of Scripture. Right. And clearly that's not so. I mean just reading the whole thing from front to back – you understand that some things are more important than other things. But why? You, you say you understand. I but, understand. But, but <laughs> the, the fundamentalist will say no, they, they aren't. That's so right. where does that understanding come from? How do you determine which bits are God and which bits are okay and which bits we don't need anymore? I'm a Lutheran. And <laughs> I'm not asking for the authority. I'm asking for the, the decision-making process. How do we determine that – love your neighbor as yourself is more important than offer the animal sacrifice. Well, to me, it is simply obvious. It's just obvious by what is there. 
But then what about um, tithing? I mean, there are things I – mean, those were two obvious examples, yes, right? right? But there, there are the middle-of-the-road ones. When you see a, 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 a nest, when you want to take eggs from a nest, you have to shoo the mother bird yeah. away. Really? Is that God saying that? Or is that you – know, there, there are so many – because Scripture is so enormous. How, how can we make that decision – with, without any accusation of just pick and mix. Okay, on our side of the text, if you will, we have four Gospels, right? Right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not in order of occurrence, but in order of how big they were. Right. That's how they were written. Uh, that's how they were named. Um, in each of those, in the first three Gospels, the synoptics, we call them that because they see the same way in right. Greek. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark's the earliest. And Matthew and Luke borrow from whoever these authors were, mm-hmm. borrow from the stories in Mark about Jesus. Some of the stories are pretty much the same. Some are not. That means that there has been some interpretation. It's like a sermon. Right. When we preach sermons, we take the story and we make it better. We, we make it attractive. We make it... Uh, uh, fit the time and the place and let it speak to to the people uh, the same way in the Gospels. So does that mean that if Mark says one thing and Matthew says another thing, they're wrong? No, they're just simple, simply two different ways of looking at the same situation. Your liberalism oozed out there <laughs> when you said that – your, that, that you take the scripture and make it relevant to today as opposed to taking today and making them understand scripture. That's exactly what I do, yes. So where do you get the authority to, to make that interpretation? Well, uh, vocationally, I get the authority from the church that ordains me so to do that. And so they hear the sermon, kind of sermons you give, and they see the kind of teaching you, you can teach and say, yes, this is in keeping with our community. Yes, but also the, the bishops who ordained me and the seminaries to which I went and uh, the academic uh, study that I had. All of that gives me the authority at, to employ all the, all the tools there are to interpret a text uh, study of language, um, um, reda- seeing how the story was redacted, all of those things that, that have come to us. When we look at the text, uh, when I look at the text, I am free right. to let it come alive in a way that is life-giving. There's, there's one thing you haven't mentioned much, which is God. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, who is God to you? Good question. Um, when I was in seminary, we studied St. Anselm of the 11th century, Canterbury. And Anselm was famous for what's called the ontological argument. Ah, yeah. Anselm said, God is that than which nothing greater can be conceived or thought of. And when asked, well, what if you can think of something greater than that? Then Anselm replied, God is even greater than that. Right. So the, his ontological argument was that since 
God, the thinking about God can be in our mind that God must also be in reality. That was his argument. Because that is greater than what is in our mind. Yeah. And it's, it's very attractive. It makes sense to me, you know, just – but not quite. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. The other thing that we learned in seminary is we talked about God as the one who. God is the one who um, spoke the promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Sarah and so forth. God is the one who spoke through the prophets. God is the one who, um, for us, uh, was fully present in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. God is the one who will bring about hope and life in the world to come in the future. God is the one who uh, cares for us uh, beyond anything we could ever ever imagine. So this is not God the idea like St. Anselm. This, no. is, this is God the real being with whom one can have a, a connection, a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Those are, those are two very different theological sides. Yes, they are. Sides, yes, uh, they are. Aren't they? So I, I, I'm interested when you, when you talk about when, – when you just described God as God as the one who and, and then you, you went to the future, as who brings about a time of hope and, and so on. Is that where we're going? Is that where society is headed towards a, a time of hope and reconciliation? I hope so. I really do hope so. Um, but do you believe so? I do. That's the God in whom, however that God is um, named or spoken of with whatever human language I have, I put my trust in that God who, uh, in a sense, is co-creating the future with us. Um, what's, when co-creating opens up a whole world of other things yes. <laughs> with five minutes or so left. Um, is it an equal co-creation? Is it a, a release, like a, of a child? I now, I create you and then you go and create. Is it an equal partnership? What, what kind of, what does it mean for you to say that we're co-creators? I really don't know. It just feels good to say it. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, that's, that's okay. Yeah. I think you know. Just, we we often try to plumb the depths. That's right. But that sometimes yeah. something just is. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had uh, a number of discussions on this show with previous guests about paradox and mystery and and the the transrational. Sometimes it's it's just it, it's it's what it is, and I can't explain it. That's where I am. Right. So from there, what's the core? teaching, if you were to, to pass on your understanding of, of, of Lutheranism, if you were to say, I can't explain it, but here's what it is. Is it, is it back to that promise? What, what is it? Luther, um, at the end, believed that the one Thing, the one capacity of God for in relationship to us is pure, unadulterated grace. No matter what, no matter who we are, it's all grace. I used, I used to have the, uh, the 
young people in my confirmation class. We, we gave them a Bible when they started. And I'd say, open up your Bible and take a pencil, which I gave them, and I want you to write these things in your Bible. And they said, are we allowed to write in the Bible? And right, I said, that's interesting. Yes, it's, I it's give you permission. It's making me shudder already, but yes, carry on. <laughs> well, on the on the, no, sure, on the margins, I got your right. So I said, number one, the first thing to do is to listen, not talk. Because the first rule of spirituality was always to listen and not, not to begin praying, but to, but to listen. Number two, I am a child of God and always have been and always will be. And number three, nothing I have ever done or will do or am doing now, in spite of what I think of myself, will ever change number two. Huh. Those were the three things. And that is my understanding of grace, which comes as a gift, undeserved. I can't, I can't purchase it. I can't work for it. I can't imagine it. I can only say thank you. Let me ask in our closing minutes, while, as you know, your presence at Temple Beth Shalom is always, always definitely welcome, how can a Lutheran pastor belong to a synagogue? Well, Rabbi, it's a, it's a joy for me to be there. It may have something to do with my, my great-grandmother who was Jewish, but that's another part of the story. Our two congregations, um, even before I came to Santa Fe, were doing things together and mm. have always been um, united in that way, sharing things, talking um, working together, learning, so forth and so on. Um, actually, it happened when our son died. Right. Um, the service was held at our church, and, but it was uh, our building was too small to contain the number of people for a meal of condolence. And so the invitation came to have it at Temple Beth Shalom. Following that, um, we were invited to attend services, High Holy Days. Now, I knew about High Holy Days, but I'd never done it. Um, I knew a lot of people there. I always have. It was just the most natural thing to do. When I retired, one of my retirement gifts was a membership to Temple Beth Shalom. And I have to say that for my wife and I, that is one of the true gifts that we cherish deep, deep, deep in our hearts. Well, it, you, as you know, it's always great to have you with us. <laughs> and just as it's been great to have you on our show this evening, I, I really want to thank you. Um, it's been really fascinating. And we've, we've opened up some, some areas I'd love for us to explore some more. And so maybe, hopefully, at some point in the future, you can come back on our show and we can, we can take these questions even further. I'd be honored, Rabbi. You've been listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And my guest this evening, thanks again to Pastor Ben Lazelier, former pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.